ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕਾ ਖਾਲਸਾ ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕੀ ਫਤਿਹ ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕਾ ਖਾਲਸਾ ਵਾਹਿਗੁਰੂ ਜੀ ਕੀ ਫਤਿਹ ਸੋ ਆਈ ਜਸਟ ਵਾਂਟ ਟੂ ਕੁਆਟ ਟੂ ਯੂ ਇਨ ਦਾ ਲਿਸਨਰਸ ਸਮਥਿੰਗ ਵਿਚ ਆਈ ਪਿਕਡ ਅਪ ਫਰਮ ਅ ਮੈਡੀਕਲ ਜਰਨਲ ਦਾ ਡੇਟ ਇਸ ਜੁਲਾਈ ਸੈਪਟੈਂਬਰ 2017 ਇਟ ਵਾਸ ਅ ਸਟੱਡੀ ਕੰਡਕਟਡ ਬਾਈ ਫਾਈਵ uh scientists in the punjab the studies called drug abuse and covering the burden in rural punjab it's published in the johnson family medical primary care journal uh journal or i mean it's new a name journal of family medical prime care the name was changed sorry so the name of the study is drug abuse and covering the burden in rural punjab and the name of the people who did the study is a uh, bhuvan sharma anjali arora kanwaljit singh harinder singh and prabjot kaur and uh something which actually says like this is the results of the study i mean tell me if you agree with it or not and this is regarding the punjab the prevalence of substance abuse among study group was 65.5% and the study was conducted on 400 adolescents and young adults so the youngest was 11 years old the oldest was 35 years and this is from 15 villages of jalandhar district now mind you dwabba where jalandhar is is supposed to be one of the highly educated districts in the punjab provinces so the prevalence of substance abuse among this region uh, the study group was 65.5% and most common substance abuse was alcohol so that's 41.8% of the 400 followed by tobacco which is 21.3% of the 400 a high prevalence of heroin abuses was noted amongst study subjects so that's 20.8% and the prevalence of non alcohol and non tobacco substance abuse was 34.8% so that's your synthetic stuff so a significant association of drug abuse was observed with male gender illiteracy and age above 30 years would you agree with that based on your own observations well the number seems up seem to be a bit high but uh, i think uh, that might be the reality yeah mhm so i mean there's a massive stereotype going on when the farmers protests were at their peak all these trolls were you know picking on sikhs saying urta punjab urta punjab now just a note here in bollywood it takes a certain amount of genius to produce the atrocities which come out from you know that industry and urta punjab is one of those atrocities which entirely manages to successfully miss the point it's trying to convey to the audience rather what we have is this uh you know what the directors set out to do was you know uh make a statement against the drug abuse you know ongoing in the punjab it's a pandemic that's what is actually referred to in official documents except they end up glorifying it however that movie did highlight you know lift the scab from the wound which has been inflicting punjab for the past almost 30 40 years that yes there is a high amount of substance abuse in the state and so far no one has actually been able to you know trace it down to its narrow fundamentals as to where it's rooted and why it's happening and it seems that a majority of the people being afflicted by this pandemic falling prey to it are sikhs hmm so would that be assessment you would agree with uh not 100% but yes largely agree largely agree so from a historical context when did this pandemic actually start i would say uh immediately after the so called green, green revolution 
Okay, yep. So, so how does the Green Revolution relate to this? Because you aren't the only one who would say this. I mean, there's the leading authority, Vandana Shiva. She also says the same. All the material we have on the genocide in 84, which happened, you know, in which Sikhs were targeted. So how does the Green Revolution fit into this? I mean, imagine you're explaining this to an idiot. Well, I'm currently setting in a farm, so th th that's the thing around me. Okay, <laughs> let's say explain it like I am five, yeah. So filling oh, yeah. to a five-year-old, yeah. Yes, yes. So suddenly, Punjab and the adjoining regions, but largely Punjabi-speaking regions, and and of course Haryana and to some extent Western UP, mm. new agricultural tool, new agricultural uh, implements, and uh, new crops and the new types of crop, new varieties of crops. Yeah. Yes. Scientific, scientifically developed overseas were yeah. introduced into Punjab slash North India to increase the food security of the of the country. Yep. So better crops, better yield, better protection against diseases, it meant higher output, it meant higher income, and it meant that people who were largely illiterate or semi-educated now found, found themselves having some money in their pocket. Yep. So in that scenario, a person who is not too bright is having some money in the pocket. The basic thing they can do is start, you know, spending money on some ledger of safety. It could be like maybe they will, you know, buy better clothes or maybe start eating and drinking regular, regularly. Let's say in the evening, some friends get together. Okay, okay, let's eat some chicken and let's drink some alcohol and stuff. Yeah. Yes, that's right. But. I mean, leaving aside that everyone's seen that, that's sort of become a cultural stereotype, especially the chicken and the alcohol one. But when Punjab was divided from Pakistan, sundered from Pakistan, now, if I remember correctly, was this problem prevalent there after 47 in that time period before the Green Revolution? Uh I wouldn't say because uh, you have to remember that back in those days, uh, uh, these things called a pukki and a beam that's morphine, they weren't actually ca called, let's say, categorized as drugs to begin with. Yep, even pang. Well, pang is quite normal. It's a, it's a wild plant. It grows everywhere, but uh, you have to process the other ones, yeah? Yes. So in the old literature, you can literally read like even old women used to uh, consume uh, morphine, a beam, in very small quantities for good health. Yep. And I guess uh, one of the things which used to happen back in the day was, you know, like our parents tell us, like they never had painkillers. So if they grew sick or had a very terrible cough, they used to be given brandy. Yeah, that's true. So up to 47, I mean, after 47, we have intergenerational trauma, obviously. The Sikhs were really victims of, you know, forces in both India and in Pakistan. The British pretty much, well, the British really couldn't do much when Sikh leaders were blind as well. So that, that generation from 47 to, say, up to 61, when the Punjabi state is formed, that was a generation which went through many turbulent times. But you never had the amount of drug abuse which is being reported, you know, after the 80s then. So I guess in a way, one question which I would ask, seeing that you know more about this than me, obviously, in... 1979, late 1979, the Russians invaded Afghanistan. And after that, what we have is this, we have the Americans come in. So we have all this, you know, different factions going strong. And 
the Taliban actually managed to, you know, conquer, or well, I would say it was a conquest, wasn't it? They actually marched to and sweep the Russians aside and they managed to get control of the poppy fields. Would you say that that opening up of Afghanistan's borders and, you know, the drug trade, that somehow played a part? Because if I remember correctly, you know, back in the 80s, in the 90s, America, you know, the United States and even Europe was facing a problem with, with HIV AIDS. Uh, homosexuality was, you know, predominantly made out to be the culprit, but it turned out that most of the drug addicts were uh, sharing syringes as well. So you had the drug wars in Los Angeles going on. You had the drug wars in Madrid. You had the drug wars in London. So that's that's Europe we are talking about. But it also makes sense that all those drugs from Afghanistan, especially, you know, drugs using poppy like heroin, et cetera, et cetera, they would have spell, spelt over in the Punjab as well. You have, to remember, well, you have to remember that uh, the drug trade, uh, it's a great source of income. Hmm. So it, it could be a state using it as an income. That's, uh, let's say, an income that cannot be traced. Yes. And it's it's also a form of warfare against, against uh, uh, let's say, an other country or against an adversary. Mm -hmm. Because if I remember correctly now, something else which is actually, you know, something we need to see down here is since the 80s, it isn't only Indian Punjab struggling with that problem, it's also Pakistani Punjab. Uh, not to the extent because uh, they uh, are a very orthodox religious society compared to us, they are much more re religious. Oh, yes, and, obviously. Uh, yeah, and uh, uh, overtly, you, you wouldn't find even alcohol in, in uh, Western Punjab. But I guess in Western Punjab, and I was watching a documentary I only made a few years back before the pandemic, and they pretty much confirmed that the government has been keeping a you know close eye on it. But it's the fact that Imran Khan has finally come in, and he's sort of uh, you know disenfranchised the mullahs, and he's actually able to you know pull the cover off and show that there is a massive uh, undercurrent of heroin abuse in Pakistani society in Western Punjabi Pakistani society, which is actually threatening to engulf the youth. So it seems to be that this is a common problem on both sides of the border. However, is this only a spillover as a consequence of, you know, Afghanistan's drug trade? Because, you know, we know Afghanistan is a hellhole. There is no centralized government to, you know, form laws or even enforce laws down there. So what do you say that this is a spillover or this also seems to be some sort of a deliberate policy as well? I find it very interesting that the spillover stops in Punjab. It doesn't re reaches uh, Haryana, it doesn't go, go to Rajasthan, it doesn't spill over to Western Europe, it just stops in Punjab as, as if there is a natural boundary somewhere. Yes, that's that's very interesting. And that's something, uh, do you know Rahul Bose? Uh, the actor? Yeah, the actor. Uh, he did a documentary around 2010-11, if I remember correctly. And this was the same question Bose asked as well. He actually traveled throughout the Punjab. He went to the... Punjab police headquarters, you know, the border security force commandment. He actually went all over Punjab asking this one question again and again. Why is it that a majority of the spillover only seems to be stopping in the Punjab? Yes, there is a few residual drags going on to Haryana, UP, etc., etc. But it's not as worse. They seem to be sourcing it from somewhere else. But in Punjab, it's almost uh, free for all. You can get that stuff cheap as. So why is it that with all the security pyramids set up down there, with all these anti-narcotic, uh, you know, units down there, 
why is it that the substance, you know, all these various substances, harmful substances are still, you know, available so openly down there? Well, uh, the, the very first reason is that there is a market. Hmm. And uh, the second reason is obvious. You and I both know the answer to it. Yes, yes, yes. And I guess that second reason, obviously, that's something, you know, we have been hearing in the news since the past few years, different parties blaming each other for it. And then, you know, legislative uh, assembly members pulling out the proof against each other. But leaving that aside, because, you know, that's something which everyone is aware of and they know that no one's going to pull a finger on that end. When you say there's a market for it, obviously, then there is a demand for it. So if there is a demand for it, why is there a demand for it? Okay. <clears throat> so now we have finally arrived onto the serious points. Okay. Yes. Why is there a demand for it? Yep. Very simple. I mm. live here. I was born here. I grew up here. Yeah. Yep. So, as a teenager, I knew the kids who actually who had actually started smoking cigarettes when they were sixteen or maybe fifteen. Yep. <clears throat> and these kids were sons of Amritari parents. Yep. That's that's a tragedy. Mm -hmm. Your parents are Amritari, and the son is smoking cigarettes, hiding hiding somewhere in the fields or maybe in the abandoned houses that we have plenty of in Doaba. Yes. So, how can, let's say, a Punjabi kid, a teenager Punjabi kid, be attracted towards smoking cigarettes or maybe uh, you know, start drinking, drinking beer, alcohol, or start, start consuming some hard drugs? Where yeah. does this, this inclination, this inspiration come from? The mm -hmm. first thing is that, uh, there is that some, this is something I have observed. I don't know if others there is something that kids usually do, and uh, we also saw the same, that there are a few things you must do to be counted as a grown-up. Yep. Or to gain respect, or to build connections. Hmm. Very first thing, you should be able to fight. Yep. And to be able to fight, you need to have at least five or ten people who are willing to fight on your side. Yep. It's not about going to the gym or maybe learning some martial arts that I'm able to fight. I'm able to protect myself, yeah? Yep. So I remove myself from this category. <laughs> uh, well, of course, yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> and then, then the other thing is that uh, kids get together. Yep. And uh, let's say you are living in Punjab, you have a day off. What options do you have to spend your day? Hmm. Tell me, none. Nothing. Okay. You cannot go to a sports field because there are not many. No. You cannot go for a picnic because this culture doesn't exist. No. You, you cannot go out with your girlfriend or, or, or with your boyfriend because you'll probably get beaten up. Yep. You cannot go to, let's say, a swimming pool or a gaming arcade because those things don't exist. Mm-hmm. So a bored mind, it's in the control of Satan, they say. Uh, well, I'm just paraphrasing. Yep. So you Vela can have nothing to do. Yeah, yeah. They got nothing. yeah, they got nothing to do. So they probably just sit together and watch some movies and maybe drink some beer and stuff. That's the starting point. 
Hmm. From this starting point, so this is something I've observed in my own life. It's not peer reviewed. It's not a study. It's not research. That's that's just my observation. And peer yeah. pressure is way too high, especially in this age. Hmm. So somebody might steal their father's alcohol and say, let's drink it. So under pressure, start drinking alcohol. Yeah. Yes. And you, let's say, you source some affine or morphine and say, okay, give it a go. It's good. It's not bad. My father uses it. My my, my uncle uses it. My, my brother uses it. It's not bad. Hmm. And also uh, something that uh, if you are going to have a physical fight, it, it uh, it helps if you are high because you won't feel the pain. Mm-hmm. I guess the way we would I would look at it from an academic perspective, and this is something I was actually reading in the Punjab Monitor. I mean, it, it's a shame that magazine got discontinued, but one of the writers, if I remember correctly, uh, Lok Singh, he was actually a professor. I think he might be in the United States now. He actually was forced out from Punjab University, if I remember correctly or whichever university he was employed by. And Trilog Singh actually studied this situation, and uh, what he actually pointed out, and this was something which I even confirmed myself. Now, there is a book, The Sikhs of the Punjab, by, you know, Joyce Pettigrew. And in it, she interviews the, you know, at that time, the contemporary, one of the contemporary heads of the commando force was in Singh Zafarwal. And, you know, Zafarwal actually said something very intriguing to her, that our policy is well received by villagers because we are not like the bubbers because while we go and shut down alcohol valves, you know, providing alcohol, we do not persecute the owners of these, you know, businesses. We actually enroll them in our schemes and all the amelies, you know, the stoners, all the people on high, the drug addicts, you know, the junkies, society's drugs, we enroll them in our groups by actually, you know, providing them with the amount they need to be able to function properly for us. So they carry our weapons across, they, you know, give us information, et cetera, et cetera. So he did sort of confirm there was a nexus between those elements and, you know, them. But on the other hand, when she asked, so what seems to be, you know, something, a factor which is uh, dismantling that scheme? And he actually told her that the bubbers have a very fanatical habit of killing all drug junkies, even if they're minding their own business. So, what Reloxing pointed out was that over time, when the militancy started decreasing, there was this, this uh, I guess, perception made in the people's mind through the media that everything or anything which Amritaris are doing, that goes against common sense. And for that reason, if you look at the movies from those times, the uh, 70s and 80s in the Punjabi movies, Amritaris actually enjoyed quite uh, prominent roles, you know, as protagonists. After that, even Sardars weren't portrayed so positively in the mass media. And this happened in the Punjab as well. I mean, I don't think that Gugugil or Yograd Singh ever played a Sardar in their movies in those days. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think they didn't. And uh, well, as kids, you might have enjoyed their movies, but now it's peak cringe. Peak cringe. And I, all I know is that Gurdasman started off as a Sardar in Uchha Darbabe Nanakta, which was uh, his second or third movie. And after that, he went another way as well. So basically, this, uh, you know, Amritaris, they actually sort of started being cancelled out from mainstream media that, you know, portrayal. And there was a negativity attached as well. Uh, 
Mithun Chakraborty did a film, and in that film, he actually had an Amritari accomplice. The guy wore the kirpan the wrong way, he talked in Hindi, the wrong way he talked in Hindi. And uh, overall, he was sort of portrayed as a good person, but as a fake good person. So, you know, Amritari is doing drug deals and stuff. And you can see that in a way there was a sort of a rebellion fostered in the mind of the minds of the youth. So now the generation which suffered all that trauma in the eighties, while they were trying to cultivate a image of a good Sikh to sort of, you know, withstand the trauma and not let those policies succeed. They were fighting a losing battle because they never had any media to cultivate Sikh principles in their children. So overall, Say if at a Gurdwara the children heard not to do drugs or from their parents, they would go out and do those drugs because that, you know, uh, neo uh, pseudo liberalism was being shown on TV that, you know, you should have girlfriends, you should have pre martial sex, etc., etc. If you remember all the trash in the 90s. And from there on, it really sort of took off that the drug culture just exploded. It was, it was heavily popularized. Well, you do make a good point here that uh, going against the Sikh way of life was, uh, let's say, pushed onto the people, yeah? I mean, if I remember correctly, even a few years back, there was a show on TV. It was one of those, you know, stupid Bollywood-type crap, which they come up with now and then meet the Maradi Rabba. And they misappropriated the life of Satwan Singh in there. So they have Amrit Tari dead. He's married to a, you know, sari-wearing model. And he's the clan of the family. The boys have shaved beards and cut heads. And they only wear turbans for military service. That's pretty much it. And, you know, in this, the boys are showing, you know, eating, I guess, drinking alcohol and eating meat, etc., etc. You know, all the, all the shit with sort of... Uh, you know, goes against the principles of Sikhi, not exclusively the meat-eating one, but the way it's portrayed is that that rebellion is actually justified because they are the protagonists. Hmm. In an attempt, let's to let's say, water down Sikhi or to you know to, to mellow us down after the eighties uh, and nineties, it it makes sense that. Because there was a massive mass media attack on Sikh principles at that time. I mean, if I remember correctly, from 95 onwards, I mean, Punjab had never had media scholarships. You know, like you had scholarship for drama and the arts, but you had to go out of the Punjab. And we had very, uh, you know, prominent playwrights as well, but they never forayed into the film industry. And the film industry wasn't, you know, even that big in Punjab at the time. It, it had an effect, but not such a strong economical presence but after that it just became big and big and big and big and just went you know blasted from there hmm well yeah so we have uh, now made this point and I also have to remember that as, as young people hmm. kids kids are very curious to tr to try new things hmm hmm very curious so what do you say there is no uh productive outlet for their energies, which is actually compelling even 11-year-olds 11 11 to try this? Well, if you say preteens, they might copy their maybe elder brothers or maybe their cousins or their neighbors. An 11-year-old kid should be doing homework and that's it. Mm -hmm. yeah, but but uh, 
I don't think I've ever seen an 11-year-old smoking a cigarette. There might be a possibility somewhere, but hmm. no. So, on another aspect down here is that w- w- one of the things which these studies have found routinely is that, so, you know, a Punjabi, a Sikh youth gets educated because, you know, girls are falling prey to this now as well, and that's just something opening up. They get educated they, you know, their families sell their land holdings because that's, you know, the foremost economical element in the Punjab. They get high degrees, higher studies, and, you know, they come out, they can't find a job. They're fed up of the system. They don't have the money to bribe themselves into an effective job, and they don't really have the energy to, you know, for the rest of their life, you know, save their skins by taking bribes and passing them on, etc. So they decide to go overseas. Those who can't make it overseas, you know, are left in a sort of a slump, and from that depressed state is when they actually fall prey to drugs. So is there an element of truth to that as well? No. Okay, so why would they say that then? Well, it's a, it's a very conven- convenient excuse. Have you ever heard somebody that I didn't have a job, so I became a bodybuilder? <laughs> no. <laughs> Have you ever heard anybody saying, oh, I didn't have a job, so I started, uh, I became self-employed. I did a degree, I did post-graduation, blah, 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 whatever. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'll, 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 okay. This might be the central point of the whole podcast. Yep. How many villages are there in Punjab? Any idea? Mm, To the the nearest thousand. Over 11? They used to say it's 12,000 something. Oh, yeah. So let's say there are at least two alcohol shops to take us per per village in in Punjab. So let's say there are about twenty five thousand alcohol shops in in Punjab. Yep. Yeah. And yep. it's it's open. Nobody frowns on you if you drink alcohol or whatever. Yeah. Yes. Does that mean there there is absolutely nobody in the entire state of Punjab who doesn't drink alcohol or beer or anything? Hmm. The government, or should I say the government, can place a ton of drugs at my doorstep. Ultimately, it will be my own personal decision to consume those drugs. Uh, yes, that's right, that's right. In the very same way, if somebody unloads a truck of shit in front of your house, you, you decide to maybe you know, wash it off or you know, just you know, clean it away. You don't say, okay, he dumped shit in front of me, so I had to take it in because the government dumped, pushed it on me. Mm-hmm. You but know I guess, what I mean? Yes, I know what I mean. So personal responsibility. No. Yeah, so because of, I, I use uh, the, the word dung because of you, that's a popular form of protest in India. Yeah. And Punjab. So one thing, though, is that Obviously, if you look at the Sikh dynamic, I mean, as a community, we still hold on to the, you know, shards of the Khalsa past. So, you know, the way the Khalsa was made, we had, you know, village panchets, Sikh-oriented panchets are making decisions and conveying them to a leadership. We saw this during Banda Singh's time. We saw this during, uh, you know, Noab Kapoor Singh's time. We saw this during the Misaleta. Under Ranjit Singh, the system was discontinued to a degree, but then we have, you know, Professor Gurmukh Singh and Gani Dit Singh send up, uh, you know, they established these Gurdwaras throughout the Punjab and Punjabi villages, you know, to preach Sikhi and at the same time, you know, provide a, you know, a space for the community, for the rural Sikhs. 
And then coming down to the 80s, we had the Khalsa Panchayat set up by, you know, Harmandar Singh Sandhu for, you know, political effect. But when we talk about personal responsibility, we have, you know, sort of reached that stage where we are battling modernism, you know, the negative effects of modernism and what is, you know, imposed on us in the name of progression, et cetera, et cetera. Would you say that to augment that sense of personal responsibility or to see that in people who don't have it, we need those sort of systems again, like Khalsa Panchets, et cetera, on a village level, on a rural grassroots level, so everyone is looked out for? You have to remember that personal responsibility is largely not a part of Punjabi culture. That's the thing. That's the thing. So to inculcate that, to prevent people from falling into that menace, do rural communities and, you know, even urban communities, because this is rife in urban communities as well, do those communities need to get together and sort of prevent their own youth from falling into this trap? Well, the very first thing is you need to talk to your, talk to your kids and nobody does it in my job. Nobody. So what do you say that, I mean, let's let's look at the history of the Punjab. I mean, I don't, I'm under the impression that drugs have been around for a long time. Substances have been around for a long time in the land of the Five Rivers. And they would have been around there during the days of the, you know, missiles and the gurus as well. And I guess in Indian culture and, you know, Hindu and even Islamic culture, drugs were deified, substance abuse was deified. And Guru Nanak came and said, no, no, this does not lead you to any divine path. On the other hand, for medicinal purposes, Sikh warriors may have used some substances but never abused them. I mean, a few years back, Nihal, Sangofariavela, you know, the Nihang, well, he was actually being interviewed in the UK, and that's what he pointed out to them that, you know, Sukha used to be drunk for anesthetic purposes, or, you know, just when the Sings were out, the Nihangs were out in the forests of the Punjab, but never to the degree that you see them now stoned and, you know, just semi dead in Nandapur Sahib. But then on the other hand, how was it that at that time there was no uh, substance abuse rife in the community, but we have it today? Well, that's something that we all need to have a conversation and maybe maybe deeply think about. Because back in those days, the only thing that was available was either pukki, afim, and alcohol. That's it. Or pang? Well, pang was, let's say, looked down upon. If you consume I mean, punk, nobody yeah. would even want to talk to you because that was considered to be, let's say, very uh, disgusting thing to do. Why? Well, as, as I told you, it's, uh, it's how do we say, it's the cheapest form of drugs that's available. Yep. It takes no effort to collect or source it. And uh, it's it, you have to smoke it. And smoking in Punjabi culture doesn't exist. Well, oh, today, yes. but tra- right. traditionally it doesn't. Traditionally it doesn't. And I guess on the issue of alcohol, it would have been used as more or less to sanitize wounds rather than be consumed. Whereas, you know, sukkah and all that, as Nihal Singh pointed out, uh, pointed out, was pretty much for anesthetic purposes and not to the religious degree that, you know, the later missile commanders, Ranjit Singh, Kali Pula Singh and the like made it. I mean, if you look at Kavi Santok Singh claiming Guru Gobind Singh, used to consume morphine, was, you know, stoned out of his mind on Pukki and Afim. But then on the other hand, leaving all that aside, what do you say in the early days of, you know, the post-Guru era, when we had men like Bandha Singh Badr, Nwab Kapoor Singh, women like Mata Pak, or 
Mata Saibko leading us, that the community dynamic was very different. So that's why the youth never actually fell prey to these temptations. Uh, well, I would, I would agree with your point. And uh, the community was totally different also because we were in an earlier stage of development where you know, people, everybody knew what their responsibility was. So there was no incentive to just sit idle and do nothing and be uh, inclined towards going down this path of degeneracy. Because, I mean, personally speaking, I've always been a supporter of military service for the youth. And I mean, if you look at it, yes, from that time, I'm, Noab Kapoor Singh was in his early 20s, probably as a teenager, when he was enrolled into, you know, the Nehang divisions, which Darbara Singh and Mani Singh had made in the post Banda Singh era. So, you know, he was all those individuals at the time, those heroes, those martyrs, they had productive lives from the start, from when they actually matured. Today, we look at what's happening today. I mean, we obviously have the snowflake culture going around that, you know, you can't hit your kid off this, or if there's a kid crying, you have to give them some, oh my goodness, some sp safe space to be an outlet, to let them just cry it out. And, you know, everything which goes under the name of mental health. Obviously, kids aren't hard enough. But on the other hand, if you look at Punjab, it's an agricultural community. There are lots of demands made on young children as well from the start. But how is it that, after the 80s, drug abuse just skyrockets down there among those kids. Is it disenfranchisement from families? Is it intergenerational trauma? Or is it that, you know, the youth feel so curbed in and the media attempts to give them all these uh, alternatives as a means of rebellion? Well, uh, I was too young to notice it back then, but uh, I would say that uh, it's a way that, okay, this phase of strict adherence to Sikh principles have, has passed away. Yep. Yeah. So you know, let's explore new things or maybe try, try something new. So, okay. It's a different lifestyle. Let's see how it goes. Hmm. And I guess one thing which I remember from 2008 reading in the Sikh review, they were trying to think up a list of Amritari role models, but no one was able to come up with any dynamic role models who could influence the youth in India. And I guess a particularly regarding Sikh youth, no one asks them who their role models really are. I mean, they have them imposed on them that, you know, here's Manmohan Singh, here's so-and-so, here's so-and-so. So in a list of 10 Sikh role models intended for the youth, nine are always going to be old men or women, you know, those who are past their expiry dates. And one is young, but they might not really be relevant to the principles people are trying to, you know, get the youth to uphold. So would it be a lack of, say, Sikh pop culture, which is actually making the youth turn to other, uh, I guess, alternatives which are anti-Sikh? So this is something where I would disagree with most of people, yeah? Yep. Okay. <clears throat> this might be a little bit insulting to some. Yep. How stupid do you have to be to understand that doing drugs is not a wise thing to do? Yep. A simple statement. Do I need somebody to tell me to, you know, maybe produce a, a PSA on TV or something that don't do drugs, drugs are bad. You, just, you know that old uh, South Park episode? Yep. <laughs> yeah. So do <laughs> I really need to tell me, tell to, or for somebody to tell me that I shouldn't do drugs? It's simple. 
that yep. these drugs will only lead to my financial ruin, my ruining of my health, um, might uh, you know, get to involved with bad crowd, it's bad for my social life. It makes no sense to do drugs. That's it. I don't need a role model to tell me that. <clears throat> yep. Or I can simply observe around me that this guy does drugs. Look at him now. <clears throat> that's it. Yep. I mean, I mean, sorry, but that's it. Mm-hmm. Do, do you think that drink-driving debts are not enough to convince a person that they shouldn't drink and drive? Do people listen to it? Mm-hmm. Do you think that if, if, you, if you hear, let's say, especially in, in this, this day of social media, if somebody dies of a drug overdose, is, isn't that enough to convince me that I shouldn't do drugs to begin with? No, I agree with your point. I mean, if I, like I was saying about the 80s Los Angeles, they actually decided to get the media to run these massive anti-drug campaigns, and they worked. They worked when the media actually, you know, uh, censorship boards allowed them to show pictures of, you know, heroin addicts, uh, you know, dead heroin addicts and dead druggies. And all the autopsies performed on them, how the lungs were, you know, scorched, how, you know, the internal pain was. They actually worked to the degree that people actually started enrolling in rehabilitation clinics to be, you know, weaned off this. But that brings to me another, brings me to another point. So the first one we discussed was obviously something like the Khalsa Panchets, you know, where, okay, let's face it, there will be people who won't have a sense of personal responsibility in life. And like you oh. pointed out, Personal responsibility Major- isn't something Punjabis are famed for. Yeah, majority of them are not. No, they will always blame somebody else. So I guess rather than what we are doing now, which is the ambulance at the bottom of a cliff mentality that, you know, let them get hooked on and then we will try weaning them off. Wouldn't it be more socially and, you know, legally and economically prudent to actually have these alternatives. So first of all, we have, you know, organizations at the grassroots level, which try stopping them from getting hooked onto drugs by battling drugs. And then on the second hand, we have, you know, rehabilitation facilities with successful practices actually dedicated to getting these kids off those drugs. Well, there are a few rehab centers, but uh, they're not very effective and there are far too few of them. And are they government sponsored, government financed? Yeah, uh, I think most of them are, yeah. And I guess that's another thing which we can reflect on is that, you know, if there's a healthy competition between the private and the political sector, that's all good. You know, people get quite a high quality of service for, you know, flat prices. But then on the other hand, when you only have a few of these, it only seems to be that they're built as a reaction after a massive outcry rather than as any proactive step. Okay, uh since you and I are both, let's say, based overseas and stuff. Yep. <clears throat> Recently, well, I think it was a week ago or something, there was a massive drug bust in Canada. Yes. And uh, who were the people who were arrested? Punjabis. Sikhs. Yep. There were, not, there were not many Punjabi Hindus there. Yep. Arrested, I mean, in the list of the arrested. So why mm. is it? That even outside India, you are in Canada. You cannot claim that the Indian government forced me to do, to do drugs in Canada. Yes, you know you, you cannot claim that uh, there is some uh, Baba or something promoting drugs or something. Yep. Why are and let's not even talk about what happened in the nineties and two thousand. Hundreds of our kids got killed in gang war, primarily fueled by drugs. Yep. 
So what is it part of our, of our culture? What's the central point here? I think uh, uh, somebody who grew up in Canada or maybe was born and grew up over there, they could answer this question better than us. We, <coughs> only, we only have very limited information on it. But even outside India, we have the same problem. That's interesting you bring that up because um, actually I was talking with two individuals from Canada last night. One is a friend we have in common and then there's another one. And this other one actually told me something. She told me a lot of um, interesting things, but here's something she told me is that, you know, after the 80s, it was similar in Canada as well that, you know, Canada has always had, let's say, easy immigration settings for Punjabis from all over the world to go to Canada. And obviously, there is a very strong Sikh political and immigration lobby down there. Now, what's actually happened is that even after the 80s, this lobby was fractured down there among, you know, those who would call themselves progressives and those, on the other hand, who would call themselves, you know, let's say more or less Sikh progressives, you know, progression with Sikh principles in mind. And she was saying that, you know, after Air India, this fracture became even more bigger, the Air India bombing. And so... What's happened is that these two were at war with each other. And of, if you remember when uh, Jatidar and Jeet Singh announced that there would be no chairs in Langar Halls, you remember that in 2001, around that period? I do remember, yeah. So, good step. And obviously, if you're handicapped and you have problems, you can, you know, sit on a chair even in the Darbar as long as it's slower than, you know, the Tabia. So, what's happened is a lot of these chairs were flung at each other rather than being dumped outside. And after this, she said that there was such a massive uh, campaign taken out in the media, especially the Punjabi media, that again, Amritaris, etc., to the point that people wearing turbans and retaining beards were vilified as terrorists, as fanatics. And this was a time when, you know, in the Punjabi community down there, people refused to marry their girls to Sardars. Oh, yeah, I, I remember that, yeah. And... That's, that's in their community down there. And after that, she said there was this, you know, massive sense of liberalization that, you know, we can't live in the cloak of 300 years. We need to let go, blah, 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 blah. Now, the first blow came when, you know, in Gurdwara politics, the Indian lobby entered and voted against all Sikh principles, etc. So that's when the progressives realized that they had cut off their own feet. The second blow emerged when, uh, in 2010, the Canadian police released information about Punjabi criminals being more predominant in gang warfare than anyone else in Canada. And these criminals were uh, from the progressive generation. Mm, so yeah. the progressive generation now... It doesn't take a clown to see the reality down here. If you have religious Sikhs like us and someone asks us what we do on Vaisakhi, we will probably point to the Gurdwara. That, you know, we celebrate or we observe what happened on Vaisakhi in 1698 and, you know, subsequent dates at the Gurdwara. You have someone else and they're probably going to point at the Randi Rana, which, you know, goes on really, you know, all this dancing, get there and whatever it is, fine, then that has its own place. But when you try making that into Punjabi culture, just remember all the negative things are going to come in as well. And that's where these criminals, when they were young, they got their inspiration from, was from the Punjabi, you know, media industry, which at that time was glorifying drugs and gang wars like there was no tomorrow. Hmm. 
Yep, there were several far too many of them, mate. I mean, if you remember, <clears throat> here's actually around 87, the song which really took off was Baba Banda Singh Bahadur Divar by Kaldeep Manak. Around 97, we had, you know, Sarjeet Bindrakia take off with his Tuni Boldi, Tera Yar Bolda. And then you come down to 2004 year, Ravinder Garewal's Karka Darka Hojo, you know, two guys fighting over a girl. And that's where the Lacharpana really started from the 2003-2004 period. But most of these singers who were promoting this stuff, where were their first foreign shows held? In Canada. <laughs> <laughs> so can we really say that <clears throat> it's exterior influences which are influencing these Punjabi kids down there to turn into drug lords? Or is it actually their own upbringing which is making them into, you know, proficient drug sellers? Okay, uh, I'll, I'll tell you something from my own observation. Uh, yep. From my Nanke side, I, I had a relative who, let's say, moved to America <clears throat> before they were five years old. Yep. He visited India after like maybe a decade or so, and uh, he was actually looking for a place to smoke. <laughs> yep. He was running around hiding, and uh, that guy actually got a few kids hooked on smoking. So that's something these people do. These people are much better than us. We must follow their footsteps. <laughs> yep. True. true. And, and, <clears throat> and that guy had an Abrahamic name. Hmm. Because apparently Gurvinder is too hard to pronounce for him. So what did he become, Gary? No. Yeah? David. <laughs> yeah, so <clears throat> obviously there's okay. that exterior. Yep. Remember, so these are young Punjabi villager kids, primarily Sikhs. Yep. They, see, they see this well-dressed, rich SOB smoking cigarettes. Yep. And especially in those times, in the early 2000s, it was like, okay, if you if you make it overseas, your life is set. Yep. So they say, okay, this is something that these people do. It must be good. We must also copy them. Yep. So who knows so, if you go and smoke in the embassy, we might get a visa. <laughs> and also, this is this is where the trend of cutting your hair off comes from, because they they also Westerners, young kids of their own age, none of them had turbans. None of them. So. There was obviously that massive disconnect with Sikhi and the generation, but why? So there was that foreign influence. You're saying there's a foreign influence as well going on here. Uh, is it is it really foreign, or is it just our own people? I guess when they go to foreign countries, and here's the funny thing: that they don't pick up all the good habits, the good qualities. They always bring back the rubbish. Well, it's the, the rubbish is easier, easier to catch on to. The good habits take responsibility. Mm, the good habits take responsibility. So <clears throat> on the drug issue, though, where are these obviously, you know, coming from? We have the spell theory that, you know, the spillage only ends at the Punjab, that, you know, they're coming over from Afghanistan after, you know, the 80s, the Afghan war, the Taliban, and, you know, many uh, Muslim fundamentalist groups actually made drugs their uh, primary uh, <clears throat> economic... Uh, produce uh we know that from iran iraq all over the place these drugs are being sold so in the states we actually have the authority succeed in maintaining a very low level of drug abuse throughout the 80s and the 90s but we come to the punjab it's exploding it keeps on going up 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 so <clears throat> obviously if these drugs are coming in from over the border 
it's not like you can go and buy them openly in the markets. You have to buy them under the table. So there must be some sort of a <clears throat> hierarchy down here in the suppliers side of things. There must be some sort of a supplying authority as well. You have to remember it's a, it's a chain, yeah? Yes. And, and the, the chain involves probably state actors, the police, the politicians and everybody. Yep. Just uh, selling or supplying or peddling drugs is one of the quickest way to make money. Yep. Let's rem remember that. It's one of the quickest ways of making money, probably I would say all over the world. Hmm. They simply say, okay, uh, okay. There was the uh, Pathankot terrorist attack, yeah? Yes. And uh, the police SP, uh, he actually helped those those terrorists cross the border? Yep. And in his, uh, in his uh, uh, what do you call it, affidavit or something? Yes. The statement he gave that uh, he thought that they were smugglers. Hmm. So that's concrete proof that the police or the BSF in this case is involved in letting these this, this, this drug menace continue by helping the smugglers. They, they might have their own share or whatever. But yep. cross-border cross drug drug uh, uh, smuggling is uh, helped by the, the state actors. So what do you say even on the other side in Pakistan, there are state actors doing this as well? Well, they have a, a reason to do it. They want to destroy the youth of India. Because that, that's where the army rec recruitment comes from. Obviously, they have there, a legitimate reason to do so. So there is obviously a nexus going on. Uh, well, of course, yeah. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, that makes sense. So how do they come down to the individual level? Like, do we have dealers? Do we have suppliers? Very first thing... Uh, this is from uh, a guy that I knew who sadly passed away from an overdose. Yep. Uh, you could go to the border regions and they would have like a whole packet, like let's say a, a kilo of heroin or something. Yeah. Yep. So they would, you know, get together in a drug house, you know, make small packets out of it. And a peddler would supply it to it to a secondary drug house, not the primary, the secondary drug house. Yep. And then it will, it's going to go up in price and it's going to go down in quality because from one packet, they might might make two of them. Yep. And uh, maybe even more, I don't know. And uh, that's when it reaches the the last last chain of suppliers and the end user. Yep. You're not going to go to the main the main drug smuggler and say, hey, give me a packet. He can only de deal in kilograms or maybe a few hundred of them. Yep. So you have to go to a small time, small time, a.k.a. street dealer to get your daily dose. Mm -hmm. So is there never any effort made to capture the, to break these chains and capture the culprits? Well, oh, there are plenty of them who, who get busted, but I'm not too sure if they get busted because they didn't pay their share to the police or the, to the local politician or the, to the local gangster or something. But uh, you, you have to you have to observe just that uh, this supply is never ending, so there's got to be sub something that's keeping it flowing pertinently or uh, permanently, perennially, is the correct word. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, if you remember uh, <clears throat> a few years back and Saf did a documentary and they actually interviewed Colonel uh, G.S. Sandhu. And uh, Sandhu is actually a descendant of Baba Deep Singh's brother, Baba Deep Singh, who, you know, managed to push the Afghans out of their bar side and died in the process. The one they say who fought without his head. So he's actually descended from his brother. And uh, Sandhu's a retired colonel. He's actually a war hero as well. So <clears throat> as uh, Sandhu pointed out, now he's actually leading a you know, war on drugs in the Punjab, but, uh, but it's not official. It's an NGO, so a non-governmental organization is, you know, financing his effort. And he's got all these ex-veterans helping him. But uh, as he was saying that, unfortunately, they don't have the authority to go out and confront these, uh, you would say, high players. So they rely on local authorities. And they actually asked him how that was going. And he told them that uh, one of the cops, one of the police commanders they had a talk with, local police commander, and they told him where the drug bust would be. So <clears throat> the commander sent his men out under, a, you know, SP, a superintendent, a trusted veteran superintendent. Mm-hmm. So they would have set out maybe around 8 o'clock in the morning. 12 o'clock, they reached the location, and uh, 2 o'clock, they actually radioed back that they had succeeded in what they were doing. <clears throat> now, by 4 o'clock, they hadn't returned. So when they actually went to check out on them, it turned out that the entire team of 16 had, you know, obviously arrested the criminals in question, uh, had them conveyed away, but they couldn't resist it and they had started partaking of those drugs themselves. So they were just lying there straight out of their minds. So this is a very old joke that uh, a police a policeman captures, let's say, 100 bottles of homebrewn uh, alcohol. Yep. By the time it reaches police station, it says there's only 50. <laughs> yep. And, and by the time it enters the police records as, as an FIR, they say, okay, we have only got 10 bottles. Yep. So <clears throat> on the other hand, the Punjab also has, let's say, what we would call uh, more or less uh, historic drugs, like, you know, Buki, Afim, Bang. What about those? Are they as equally dangerous as well? Or was that more or less something taken, like, you know, localized steroids? Would you like to get shot by a pistol or an assault rifle? Uh, none, thank you very much. <laughs> well, you answer your own question. So even they actually have this... Uh, well, obviously, I understand they would have that very uh, negative effect on you. And I guess they would have been used as medicinal aids once upon a time, but today they've just been made into a almost religion, if you would agree with that uh, assessment. Well, yeah, it's, it's something like, okay, we can use these things. But it's not like I'm going to use them every single day because we're allowed to use them. Yep. It's like uh, if, you, if you ever feel sick, eat a Panadol yep. or a Paracetamol. Yes. But if you're eating them every single day for no reason whatsoever, what's going to be the end result? A busted liver. <laughs> well, there you go. Mm, so that's, that's the thing. And I guess... Uh, <clears throat> Obviously, as I referred to before, they've even made the gurus out to be stoners, haven't they? Well, they created God in their own image. They created God in their own image. Now, one thing I'd like to relate down here. I have a friend in Australia, and once upon a time, he was a big drug uh, abuser in the Punjab. And he came over to Australia, so... He got clean and he started attending the Gurdwara. Now, I won't mention the famous Gyani who he actually met, but, you know, it's a Gyani Tornado G who claims that tornadoes happen if you eat beef. 
They are Sorry? no tornadoes in Australia. I beg your pardon? There are no tornadoes in Australia, and they have a massive beef industry, same with New Zealand. Yes, well, Gianniji actually predicted that there would be a tsunami in 2012, which was, you know, which would, you know, destroy the entire world. But uh, it's 2021, and Gianniji is still to tell us where the tsunami is originating from. Anyway, so just like the the Mayans, he got confused a little bit about the dates. Oh well, his calendar would have been a bit off. I'm sure Gianniji also takes some pookie himself now and then. <laughs> Anyhow, <clears throat> what actually happened was that so my friend could not get his residency in Australia. And uh, he decided to marry a white woman down there. Now, obviously, you know, when you're dating someone, there are ups and downs, ups and downs, ups and downs. And, you know, if he had his own choice, he would have settled for arranged marriage, you know, where you can blame someone else if the relationship doesn't go well. <clears throat> Anyhow, he met Gyaniji and he told Gyaniji that, look, I can't do this, I can't do that. And Gyaniji said that, look, you have to do 50 Japji Sahib parts for two weeks. And my friend decided I'll do it. And two weeks later, he got informed that his visa had been refused. So he went to Gyaniji and uh, Gyaniji was sitting there and Gyaniji, you know, closed his eyes, did a bit of Simran. And then he said, by, you know, after opening his eyes to my friend, he said, look, your past karams are bad. Your life in this gentleman is going to be useless. You will never get what you want. <laughs> and my... And I guess Gyaniji would, you know, he must not have had his daily dose of Puki or something. So he was a bit pissed off and he took it out on my mate. But uh, <laughs> my friend fell back into that cycle of substance abuse again. And it was only that, you know, Gori who actually pulled him out of it and helped him. And now they're actually settled down there. He's a citizen and he's got two kids. But he was telling me that that pretty much destroyed his entire faith in Sikhi when, you know, that Gyani said that. But it's only now that he sort of, you know, started realizing what Sikhi is. But he was telling me that a majority of the youth in Punjab, in his experience, who get hooked onto these drugs and their parents are religious, you know, Amritaris, it's because they do not convey to their children what Sikhi actually is. If something goes wrong, they bring out this past karam theory. And that obviously pushes the child away that, you know, I'm useless. I can't achieve anything in life. And that wrecks their life to the degree that they start feeling hollow on the inside. And then they start trying to fill that up through, you know, prostitution, through drugs, through alcohol. And that's just a downward track from there straight away. Okay. I'm going to make uh, an 18 plus point. Yep. Whenever you're going to meet your girlfriend, quote-unquote, meet your girlfriend, yep. it always helps if you're high on something because it will help you perform better. <laughs> and I guess that's another thing, isn't it, that that sort of attitude is also being pushed into us, the objectification of women. And I guess the objectification of substances to the degree where we are actually beginning to abuse these substances. We just see them as common objects. We don't realize the effects they're having on our bodies and on our health. And that also works into the fertility issue, doesn't it? That there is not oh. so much fertility left in Sikh males because of the substance abuse. Man, uh, this is, uh, okay. First of all, let's apologize to our listeners. This is the point we should have addressed much earlier. Yep. In, infertility as, as a result of A, drugs. Yes. And B, because of the, let's say, high presence of fertilizers and insecticides in the food we eat. Yes. 
So today we'll just discuss drugs here. So in yeah. infertility in Punjabi households, Punjabi males, Sikh males, it is a massive issue that nobody is even willing to talk about. Hmm. And it's, it's not that you are, let's say, unable to conceive. It's the quality also. Because you see many children who are born to people who have immigrated from Punjab recently, I see these children, only a few are hale and hearty. Otherwise, you know, you get like really short kids, really weak kids with all these problems. And you start thinking what's happening, you know, what's actually happening inside their parents, you know, bodies that these children are being born like that. But one more thing on this, one more thing. You just mentioned pesticides and how the products which come out of those pesticides that produce is laced with chemicals. Yeah. Can it be that those same chemicals create a hunger of sorts for further substances? I don't know, man. Might be, might not be. I know nothing about it. I mean, that's actually an avenue of research which needs to be pursued. So if you're actually eating and drinking chemicals, eating and drinking substances, not good for your health, as is being proved by the soaring rates of cancer in the Punjab. So why wouldn't they actually, you know, inculcate a hunger of sorts for more substances in your body? Uh, well, it might could, yeah. Your body will get addicted onto those foreign substances. Yep. And as a bit of a summary, this is something that's not only prevalent in the rural belt, it's prevalent in the cities as well in Punjab. So we have discussed the problem. So what would be the solution? What would be the ultimate solution down here? I mean, not the ultimate solution, but the series of solutions we can have, which are non-governmental, do not rely on any authority, which people can do themselves to save Sikhi and the Sikh youth hooked on drugs. Because let's face it, they're also our children as well. The, ver the very first thing I would say is talk to your kids. Yep. So your, change your boys and girls, yep. sons and daughters. So change the cultural dynamic. Yeah, talk to your people. As a parent, you shouldn't be, you know, distanced from your own kids. Talk to them, okay? Yep. These are a few things we need to talk about. You know, maybe you're growing up, you have zero life experience. I have. I got to make sure that uh, my kids live a good life, yeah? Yep, and talk, also talk one, one, bit. Yep. Uh, one more point down here. This is also something which affects girls as well as boys. Infertility or drugs? Both. Uh, drugs, both. both. Both, yeah, of course, of course. And also because, uh, okay, wouldn't, wouldn't you agree that it narrows down the pool of your potential husband? Slash S. Can you explain that further? If you are a Punjabi Sikh girl looking for a Punjabi Sikh husband and half of them are on drugs, so it narrows your pool down. Well, not only that narrows the pool down, the number of potential suitors, it just collapses. Yep, the genetic pool collapses straight away. Yeah, genetic pool. Yeah, yeah, we could say that. Yeah, gene pool. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, that's the thing. I, I don't think that uh, any sensible Punjabi girl would like to have a husband who is a drug addict. No, definitely not. And I guess that's why we're seeing something. Um, 
girls overseas would prefer to marry someone they've actually met and checked out, but no one who's lived in India. I mean, someone who's gone from overseas to live in India due to compulsions, yes, but no one from the pend. Definitely no one from the pend. Oh, yeah, there are multiple reasons, but uh, drugs uh, is, is one of them. Okay, and point number two, I would say is put your kids to work. Give them something productive. Not just productive, put them to work. They said, no pocket money for you or very limited. I'm not going to spoil you that you are you know, son of a jat bra. Uh, mm. I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you this much money to buy a new car or take a bullet or something, the motorbike, not the, not the firearm. <laughs> I'm not going to spoil my children. I'm not going to tell them, oh, you're so special because you were born to me. Yep. I'll simply say, okay, understand your responsibilities, get a job, Put my kids to work, either in the farm or whatever business you're doing. Put your kids to work. If, if, you, if your kid has got a, a fixed schedule to follow, they are less likely to indulge in this kind of activities. And, of course, drugs. And I guess on a social level, I mean, you know, when Harry Duterte actually became president in the Philippines, he ordered all these drug dealers and drug addicts killed. I mean, how many got killed? No one knows, but the amount would be genocidal. And surprisingly enough, well, not surprisingly enough, just like, you know, Jacinda Ardern's, you know, arbitrary gun buyback scheme, it created an even stronger black market. And the profits have shot up for the, you know, dealers, gun sellers, et cetera, et cetera. However, on a social level, when we know that, you know, whenever the state interferes in these matters, it usually compounds the problem, makes it worse. <coughs> Excuse me. So on the social level, what can Sikh organizations do? You know, in your opinion, what can Sikh organizations do to actually address this issue? So obviously we have children who have a disconnect from Sikhi. Now, you know, doing rants by Kirtans and Gurdwaras isn't going to convince those C uh, those kids to, you know, get off drugs, is it? So what can they do to get these kids' attention, get them away from the drug lifestyle, and, you know, actually rescue them from a life of misery and a premature death before they're hooked and after they're hooked. Hmm. Well, because, I, have, I, mean, I have to think about it. It's, it's a big yeah. question. So I, I want to put out good points here. I don't, I don't want to answer the question for the sake of answering it. Because, I mean, we know that in the 80s and in the 70s, you know, various religious leaders would rise up and people would become Amritaris by looking at them. Obviously, there was an era of persecution, et cetera, et cetera. But this is a very long-standing problem, you know. Not everyone has enough uh, that same degree of conviction. So like we were referring to, you know, Sandhu's Khalsa Panchets, is it something similar we should be setting up on the ground level? Uh, let's say on the village level, you could do it and you could keep a very strict check that uh, if, if somebody has fallen prey, let's say, I might be, you know, contradicting my own statement that I made earlier. But let's say if somebody's not too bright and they have started using drugs, or, well, and you're trying to save them, hmm. shining them won't, won't won't do anything. No, shining them won't do anything. No, 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 no. Maybe you got to talk to them. Okay, kid, we know you're you're doing this. There's no shame in hiding it from it, but we want to help you. Yep. You know, so. Just you know, sit somebody down next to you, talk to them like a regular human being, and not like you're talking to a criminal. 
And I guess this is where we need the, you know, NRIs, the foreign expertise to come in, you know, all the doctors, all the medical professionals, the rehabilitation professionals to offer strategies which actually work rather than the usual gutka camp we hold for these kids. If, 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 if uh, let's say there is a kid walking down the street and, uh, well, the kid's got now drugs in his pocket, maybe he's smoking weed or something, and if he, he sees gutka playing on the street or in the gurdwari or something. Yep. There's no there's no connection, there's no bridge in between these two. No, there's nothing. The, the first step is going to come from, okay, kid, I know you, you're doing drugs or something. It's not, it's not going to be good for you because you haven't lived a life. You, you don't have the experience. Let me help you. Yep. So this is coming from a non-religious perspective. Yep. It's just, just coming from a, from a humane perspective that this is not good for you. Allow me to help you. So the very first thing you have to build trust, I think. Yes. And maybe at, at a later stage, you want to reintroduce that kid to his own heritage. Yep. That, in, you know, this introduction is not going to be the first step. It, it will most likely backfire. Yep. I have a personal feeling that we can learn a lot from Native American reservations who have successfully overcome these issues. Uh, I've heard about them, uh, but I don't know enough to comment on it. Yep, and that's one thing. Now, on the other hand, the other question, I guess, would be that these initiatives would take time to set up and there would need to be funding for them, and as well as the fact that the people behind them would need to realize that this is not going to be an easy road. And uh, I think uh, this is another point we have missed that... uh, uh, the drugs are made very popular in, let's say, the movies, the social media, and currently in for this generation, what they call it, uh, this Snapchat, Instagram, and TikTok stuff. Yep. So mass media. In yeah, collectively, you you could tell them, social media, mass social media. Yep. And uh, also, uh, they would they would, they would they, they, uh, in Punjab, I think that this point is relevant. They could see, let's say, a strong man, you know, guy, guy who's now who's rich, who's strong, and you know, maybe something. If he is seen using drugs or uh, under the influence, it will influence younger kids to do the same. So I guess other than having a really strong media studies course in schools down there, I guess we need to answer the question that the mass media is that mass media portraying reality or is it trying to impose a reality? Oh man, you probably got to do a, a research on it. And uh, okay, uh, I'll ask you a very simple question. Yep. <clears throat> Why don't you do drugs? Well, okay, I don't do drugs because I've first and seen the effects of drugs on you know family members and others as well. And it's just a uh, to someone like me who you know values leadership and organizational skills. It's just a waste of time which will reduce my time on this earth and not allow me to achieve what I want to. Now, okay, now, for the listeners. <laughs> okay. He didn't say I'm a Sikh, we don't do drugs. He didn't say I'm, I'm a Ratari, we don't do drugs. He <laughs> answered from a basic common sense perspective, from a human perspective. Yep. You see, I set up a trap and you walk right into it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> So why don't you you do drugs? And it's 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 uh, let's say reverse psychology. Okay, why don't I do drugs? 
well, yep. which is, uh, it makes no sense to do drugs. It will you know, ruin my health. It will ruin my, my thinking capacity. It will ruin, ruin my, my finances. It will ruin my social standing. And it will ruin my future. Yeah, and I don't. I don't need to say I'm a Sikh. So my my Sikh heritage is preventing me from doing drugs. Or I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Tatari, so I can't do drugs even if I want to. Yep. So it's a, it's, just, it's just basic sense, basic common sense. Basic drugs common are bad. Sense. Don't do drugs. Drugs are bad. Mm, drugs are bad. <laughs> That's it. I guess when we are talking about it from a Sikh perspective, from the Khalsa plural perspective, we need to realize that we need a strong sense of community oneness as well to wean these kids off. You know, they need to realize that there is a community behind them, a society behind them, a fraternity behind them, that they're not alone in this. A safety net of some sort. A safety net. And it's only when we actually get down to treating these kids, rehabilitating them as we want to, that's when we will realize how far up this chain goes and how we can dismantle it. I really wish that, that I could uh, you know, bring somebody who was a drug addict, a former drug addict, but I couldn't find anybody who was fluent in, in English. No, no one wanted to talk about it as well. It's just a route they don't want to go down. No, I tried multiple times. Hmm. Anyhow, thank you very much for that. So until next time, and I guess for people who want to go further down this avenue, we have opened up a lot of possible you know, research possibilities and theories as to how to defeat this problem. It is a big problem. It is a pandemic. And I guess we need to change the cultural uh, acceptance of drugs. You know, as we have argued in the past, we need to initiate a Sikh culture rather than you know, glorify Punjabi culture to be able to defeat this menace if we have a, if we actually want a fighting chance against this menace. Do you spoke? Do you support legalization of drugs? Okay, personally speaking, I don't support legalization of drugs on the grounds that you know it should only be for people who need it for medical purposes. I mean, okay, so one thing down here: military in the army since the seventeenth, sixteenth centuries, drug abuse has been a big, bitter issue. And it was in 2005 that the Americans commissioned a study that, you know, the abuse of opiates during the Iraq war, during what happened in Afghanistan. So they are trying to wean soldiers off these drugs. It's only when soldiers are physically or mentally traumatized, they're prescribed drugs for what they need. Or otherwise, they just end up compounding the issue. Now, if you look at India as well, especially the Punjab, ex-soldiers taking drugs, Nyang is taking heavy drugs. It just brings out the aggression to the point that, you know, even innocent people stray away from them because they never know when they're going to get that bullet in the head. Mm. And and it happens. I mean, <laughs> do you remember a few years back there was an incident at Bukhara that uh, there were some Nihangs and some other group and these cows walked over into a field and everyone just grabbed AK-47s and went at each other? Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember that one, yeah. Yep. Do you, do you really think that would have been something uh, if Guru Gobind Singh had been alive, he would have tolerated? No, no, no. And before this question, I, I want to say that that issue was a massive beef. <laughs> that was a massive beef. They went the whole full cow on that one. <laughs> they, they wanted to settle the beef by, you know, killing the cow. <laughs> and I remember back in the time there were you know questions being asked about it, and I told them that you know they were like, oh, so what happens now? You know, between these two groups, and I said, oh, I wouldn't worry about the groups. I'd worry about the cows. The cows sue both. <laughs> we'll settle the beef by killing the cows. Yeah, <laughs> that's yep. all. That. 
But anyhow, at that time, as the you know police actually pointed out, they did have drugs in their system. Oh, uh, unfortunately, that is that is the reality. Uh, a lot of people just see the Nihangs as some some sort of you know myth- mystical religious pe- people or, or yep. warriors. They say, okay, okay, what war have you fought in? No, mm. well, the conquest of this Gurdwara. That's what that's the war I fought in. And I guess that the entire thing, the entire Sikh system today, needs a shake up from the ground up. You know, we need to recalibrate ourselves and reorganize ourselves. So otherwise, what we have, what we think is our culture, it's just frayed. It's making more victims than it's making, you know, survivors. I would say we need to wear new clothes, metaphorically. Mm, we need to reorient ourselves towards Gurbani and then start living again. Then start living again, yeah. And we did it in the past. We can do it again. We can do it again. So drugs, massive enemy at the moment. We're all in this fight together. We would also like to hear your opinions as well. And the attack is, is multi-pronged. It's, 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 not, it's, it's not going to destroy a person. It's going to destroy the entire community because then, n- no parent wants to see their child dying on, of an overdose or for any reason to begin with. Mm-hmm. No wife or no husband wants to lose their spouse. No child wants to lose their their parent. Mm-hmm. No. So it's all interconnected. It's all interconnected. And, and of course, I, I don't want to lose a friend to to drug overdose or a drug menace. I know I don't. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's right. So this is something we need to consider as a community, and we don't have the answers today. We actually rely on others to give us answers as well. And that connects to the lack of responsibility. The lack of responsibility on authorities, on leadership, on society, on culture, on family, as well as on the individual's part. But let's just point out one thing here. If you're an individual and you don't know better, you should have alternatives which you can fall back on to help you. Sadly, we don't have those in our community. None. None. And it's those alternatives we need to start forming. Now, of course, it's good that you can do them in, you know, overseas countries. But, you know, please consider the Punjab as well. Yeah, man. It's, it's, uh, there are, let's say, the drug issue also gives rise to a lot of crime. And that's the issue we are not going to discuss today. Yep, that would be for, ne- for another time. Yeah, and uh, so... It's not just drugs that, that is limited to because we have connected infertility issue to it. We have connected family issue to it. We haven't talked about the result of one drug abuse. That's domestic violence. Yep. And that's something we would need to consider as well. So most of our problems as a community, you know, I, I always believe that drugs are like that stalling step preventing us from progressing further. If they are out of the way, that's 80% of the battle won. Ah, Yeah, man. Okay, then thank you for sharing that information with us. Hopefully, uh, everyone, you know, listening and otherwise stay safe from the coronavirus because that's another pandemic we are confronting. And until next time, then, Wahiguji Kakalsa. Wahiguji Kakalsa. Wahiguji Kakalsa.